0: Well, I'd known Eric for quite some time by this point, and when he came to Peru and we were having a church service, I'm introducing him, and and by this point, I had just flown. I had hiked six hours, I think it was. We had taken a six-hour bus ride, hiked six hours. The altitude sickness was still on me, and I'm trying to introduce him to the people, and I said, you know, I'm talking in Spanish, and I'm like, I'd like to introduce Pastor... I'm like, crud, they're not going to ever come back, because I totally, his name was just... and I remember Roy, I remember everyone else's name, but Eric's name just, and I knew the name. So it's good to be with you at Life Changing Ministries, One Life, One Nation, About one family, one nation, amen. I remember, check, no, I'm just kidding. I know a lot of you guys heard the testimonies. Were any of you not here the, the one or two nights, or I don't know if it was night or Sunday morning, that, that team gave testimonies. Was anyone not here? Raise your hand. Okay, cool. Um, I'll try to go through it real fast. We went in March. Rachel and I took a trip with some friends of ours to an area called Kolka Canyon, It's twice as deep as the Grand Canyon. Uh, the way you get there is you fly f- to a city called Arequipa from Lima. It's about an hour and a half flight. You take a taxi to get to the bus station. You take a, uh, a bus six hours, and I'd like to call it roads, but it's more like dry riverbeds. It's just you know, it's kind of one of these things. And so you're just doing that for like six hours, and you hear awful music a lot of times for like six hours. And anyway, once you get there, you're, you cross like 18,000 feet. And you're, I think we're at this point at 13,000 feet. And so you have altitude sickness. You have I get nauseous. I feel like I'm having morning sickness. And I'm serious. At least if, I guess if I knew what morning sickness felt like, I think that would be like what it is. And, uh, and then it's a six-hour hike, and then that's the starting point. And so we went. We knew God had wanted us to go, so I invited Eric. He said, what are we going to do? I said, we better pray because I don't know what we're going to do. He said, okay. And I said three things, uh, two or three things. He said, the men have to, carry, they have to be in shape because I'm not carrying their bags. They have to be willing to uh, go wherever God calls them to go, and they have to be committed beyond just a missions trip. I'm not interested in hosting a missions team. I'm interested in changing lives and changing nations. If you guys can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, and, and so we went, we went back, we knew one Christian family in the area, so that's we figured we'd start there. We meet this guy named Roy, and just an awesome man of God, just the most humble man I've ever met. He's 49 years old. He says that he'd carry us around the, the mountains for the next several days, acting as our guide with his two mules throwing our bags on him. I said, we'd like to pay you. He said, no. I said, we're not going if we, you don't let us pay He said, if you, if you try to pay me, I'm not taking you. And I figured since he was the, knew the area, the guy didn't have the mules all shut up and listen. And my wife was like, finally, he shuts up and listens. No, I'm just kidding. uh, And the next morning, we see his neighbor, he brings some of his neighbors. She gets healed of uh, vaginal, intestinal bleeding, had a lot of pain. God took it away. The bleeding stopped. She she comes back, brings some fruit the next morning. Both she and her husband get uh, right with the Lord. The next morning, Roy comes up to us and says, there's a church building here, but the pastor never comes. He hasn't come in like, years probably and uh, he says can we have a meeting tonight and since we didn't know what we were going to do we said sure let's have a meeting tonight he said good I've already invited the village and I'm glad I passed that test and uh, I won't go into all of it but we went we hiked up another area we came back down that night power of God touching people healing people seeing people get delivered coming to the Lord just a small little village we give the congregation a little less than two hundred dollars I think right around $200, maybe 180 and Roy, he asked me, he says, brother, can we buy chairs for the congregation so the people have a place to sit? Can we buy a concrete so we can have a real floor instead of a dirt floor? Because Roy had spent the entire day cleaning the floor and painting the walls to make the, the building presentable for us, and I said, bro, you can do whatever you want. He led us for the next three or four days through the mountains. We go to this other village, got to put it on our hearts to go, called Fure. So we went to Fure. It took us seven hours, I think it was, to get there. We ran out of water. Judah had a bad experience with the cactus. You guys can ask him about it. So so we're going to this village, and no offense, but all the guys were like, and I'm like, okay, we didn't hike all this way for nothing. And so I took my friend, came with us to help translate Isaac, and Rachel and I had brought some candy to give to the kids. So we went, and... uh, I see one new building, everything is made of mud, and you can just rake your hand on it and it falls apart, but I see a new brick building, so I go over and look at it, I see a lady behind washing her feet, I'm sorry, washing her clothes in the river, and you know I was tired, so I didn't really process how this might sound, so I asked her, I said, do you have any kids? She said, yeah. I said, good, can you bring them so we can give them candy? She said, okay. She brings them out, I said, I had a thought, so I was like, what's this building, yada, 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 long story short. We met the teacher, of the it's a school building, and we said, can we use the building to have a meeting here? We're Christians, we believe God wants to bless this community. She said, yes, but there's no power, and the people come home from the fields at 5.30 and they sleep by 7. I said, okay. We had 45 minutes. I ran back to the guys, and since I was leading the team, I kind of said, this is what we're going to do. We broke up into three groups, I think. it's only 15 families in the village, so we, we went, knocked doors, invited people, up, and uh, so we had a a good uh, i'd say most of the, the the village came i don't know the percentage but most of the village probably came to the meeting and uh anyway so we didn't have any we light so we were able to find some candles and some empty uh cans of evaporated milk so we just melted them down we some of the guys uh some of the redneck guys decided they they would jimmy rig something and they hung their flashlights from the ceiling so and and Brent Brent gave an awesome word just very practical, real. They'd never heard the gospel before. So we saw people get saved. We saw people get healed. And time after time after time, I can give you a lot more testimonies, but the fact of the matter is, is that we were confronted with between three and 400 villages in that general vicinity. Colca Canyon, 75 miles long, uh, has about 200 villages. There's another area, Eric and I and Rachel, we met with the pastors We've been invited to go. They said they have between 100 and 200 villages. We haven't been there yet, but same thing, 100, 200 villages, no churches, no gospel, no pastors. And so I'm 32 years old, and I don't have all the answers. So all I know to do is to go back and to start training up leaders and pastors and village evangelists. That's all I know to do. And so if you guys, I'm going to pick up in just a minute with that, and then I want to share two minutes, something the Lord put on my heart real fast. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says, it's, you know, talking about who was worthy to open the scroll, and it says about the lamb, it talks about the lion and the lamb Jesus, and this is at the end of time before the the great uh, marriage supper of the lamb, he says, you are worthy because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, and I remember one time I was in Haiti, and you know, they're like, thank you, brother. Thank you. Haiti's the poorest country in this hemisphere. And they're, thank you, brother, for coming. Thank you for coming. And, you know, a sense of hallelujah. You know, it can kind of creep in if you're not careful. And uh, I, I remember being in a service and hearing them sing. And it was quite awful. But to, to hear them sing in Creole, not that Creole is awful, but the way they were singing is just, oh. But I remember the Lord just basically saying something to the extent of, I love this. And, and then the revelation hit me that Jesus was, I wasn't blessed, or they weren't blessed because I came, but I was blessed because I had the privilege of meeting the future bride of Christ. Amen. And I had, the fu- I had the privilege of, for some degree or another, meet, ministering to the future bride of Christ. And as I go to the mountains and as you guys go to Matamoros, Mexico and India and and other places and and here in the the jails, uh, the homeless ministry, I want to let you, if you're here from the homeless ministry or you're here from the prison, I want to let you know something. You're not blessed necessarily because these men and these women have come to you, but these men and these women are blessed because they have the opportunity to meet you. You're the ones for whom Jesus died. And uh, these people in the mountains, these are the ones for whom Jesus died. And it's, I'm, we're not great missionaries. We don't have all the answers. But it's a privilege and an honor. And it's very humbling that God would allow us just the opportunity to go and to share the love of God with someone. Amen. And we are privileged. And because he is worthy, because with his blood he purchased men for God Amen. from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people group. And we are the privileged ones. We are the ones who are blessed. And I repent Jesus for being so stinking selfish, for thinking it's hard or difficult. Because you know what? He is worthy. And uh, so as you go, I'm not saying you don't go, but please go with humility. Please go with the love of God. As we were singing that song, "Let let your glory fall, lift every burden, I felt like there are some people here that were thinking that's great for them but I don't really feel like God is speaking that to me. It's not really real to me. And there's a woman, there was a woman named Cory Timboom Boom who was Dutch from the Netherlands and she went to a concentration camp in World War II for hiding the Jews. And she came out of that with a lot of her family dying and there's something that she said that I, I, is applicable to you. She says that the love of God, I'm sorry, there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. There is no addiction to alcohol. There is no addiction to anything. There is no problem, no chain, no burden that is so deep and so great that the love of God is not deeper and greater still. There is no canyon so deep and no mountain so high that the love of Christ is not deeper still and greater still. And Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. And may that be my prayer, may that be my heart, that we are broken for a lost and dying generation. And may that be your heart as well. But if if you're struggling in here tonight, if you're you're really wondering, I really, I I could probably point you out, okay? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want you to know, is he talking about me? You were wondering that as that song was singing, as they were talking. Okay, yeah, it's real, but it's not really real to me. God, you see where I'm at? I want you to know God sees where you're at. And that very question you had in your mind is being answered right now, Okay? God sees where you're at, and He loves you. Amen. Finally, Luke chapter 10, and I'll try to finish up. Eric asked me last night if I wanted to preach. And I said, you're the pastor. You pray and see what God says. Because I can always preach. But um, Luke chapter 10. A few weeks ago, I've been trying to call these people... Uh, this guy, one of the dudes you'll see is named Roy. His wife is Domatila. That's their alpaca. Devin, where you at, dude? And so a few weeks ago I was talking to, i, I was been calling Roy. I want you to remember this lady right here, okay? Just, I know it's blurry, but just remember this lady because I want to mention her. I called, I called Roy on Skype. And understand these people don't have electricity in their home. They don't have a computer. They have a cell phone that sometimes gets cell signal. And when they happen to go to a village or a town with, uh, with a, a plug, they plug it in and charge it. And I called, and it's always hit or miss with Roy because he's out. And I was talking to his wife. And his wife, in the course of the conversation, she asks me, what does the Bible say about tithes and offerings? And so we're talking a little bit. And then a little bit later she goes, I'd really like to know what the Bible says, but I can't read. And so she, I gave Roy a Spanish Bible, but this is that was Roy. She can't read, so she doesn't know what the Word of God says. And my problem with that lady I was telling you about, my problem with that is, is Brent was with us, I think, J.J., Cholta Cholta, Buddy, and Rachel. Were they, Devin, were you with this dude or no? Okay, we, we were going into this village. We had split up, and we were talking to people, passing out tracts and stuff, and, and I tried to start talking to this lady sitting there, and I realized she's just like, Phew, dude, she's not getting it. Might as well be singing What Does the Fox Say, you know. <laughs> and because uh, she's like, what? And I realized that she speaks Quechua, which is the Indian language that, that the, uh, the Incas used to speak. Th- so I'm doing the best I can. And I'm like, I can count to 100 in Quechua, but that's only going to make her go to heaven faster, get out of boredom, you know. I can say, like, chest, heart, baby, word of God, I can say a few words, but I'm like, I don't know that she's getting it. This woman is going to die, and chances are, before any of us ever go back. And has she ever heard the name of Jesus? And it really bothers me to this day, because I don't know. I don't know if she got it. So I said all that to say, while talking to Domatila on Skype two weeks ago, on Tuesday, 12 days ago, I said, we can't have this anymore. There are people that don't know the Word of God and we can't communicate it because they don't speak Spanish. In that church service, Eric preached an awesome message and it was wasted on her because she didn't understand Spanish. And so I found a website that has Quechua Bibles, solar-powered Bibles. So these people can stick it in the sun and then they can hear the Word of God being spoken to them. We found Spanish and we found uh, Quechua. So what I did was my friend had an iPad. I called her back on Skype I pressed play for the audio example, and I said, do you understand this? Because the problem with Keshe is there are 33 dialects. And, so, and she didn't know what kind she spoke. So I was just like, okay, I'm just going to go through the list if I have to. I don't care. And so I, I went to the main one, which over a million people speak, and she translated this lady in the mountain village that has rarely ever heard the gospel, no power, no electricity. I'm able to call this lady and play something in her language that she can quote back to me, translate back to me into Spanish. She was hearing the word of God in Quechua probably for the first time from a click of a button. So what we want to do is we want to buy several of these solar power Bibles. They also have hand cranks like the old jack-o'-lanterns. And in those times when we can't communicate the gospel, it can be heard by up to 300 people. And they're $100 apiece, and, and the church has already helped out with some of that, so thank God. But we want them to be able to hear the word of God. And I'll, and I'll close. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. And Jesus told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We need money. We need, we need your prayers. But we really need help. And so if you guys think of it to pray for anything, please pray for laborers. We need, I believe in God for thousands and thousands of churches and national leaders, national workers. I believe in God for the finances to pay their salary so that they can be free to just evangelize the lost. I believe in God for, for lots of stuff. And I ask you to believe God with us. We, want, we need Americans to come down to help, teach, train, equip. But we also need national leaders to be raised up because they know the language, they know the culture, they have favor. So Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he sends forth labors. What does the very first word of verse 3 say? I am sending you out as as lambs among wolves. Go. It's interesting. Jesus says, pray that God would send forth labors. And then he said, now you go. And I I want to ask you something. For us, but for your life, don't. Pray a prayer that you're not willing to God to answer through you. God, please bring healing to Sister Susie. Well, go pray for her. When Moses was crying out to God at at the Red Sea in Israel, I'm sorry, Egypt was behind him. There's mountains on either side. What did God say? He says, why are you crying out? What do you have in your hand? Stretch it out and move forward. And some of, I've heard it said, I think it was uh, Reinhard Bonnke said, those who are praying about the will of God are being run over by those who are doing the will of God. It doesn't matter if I heard the other day in uh, Coffee News, I was reading it, it said it doesn't matter if you're on the right track if you're sitting there. You're going to get run over. So don't pray a prayer you're not willing to let God answer through you. God, they need money. Send the money. Well, write a check. God, we want someone to go to Mexico with Pastor Eric. Okay, well then go. How about this one? Lord, someone, oh, I just walked in the bathroom and it's so filthy. God, help, help them out, Jesus. Grab a glove. Don't let, it's not that hard. And I better quit preaching because I'm about to. Shoo! No, I'm just kidding. But pray that God would send forth labors. But the very next thing is go. Amen. And that doesn't mean you have to move to Mexico, but it, it means you can't stay, stay in, that, in that seat, in that pew. Do something. Do something. Amen? love
1: people who are given their all for the work of God I mean isn't it an awesome thing that our king so powerfully affected this planet that 2,000 years after his feet were walking in the dust of a little nation that was only 80 miles wide and 120 miles long there are still men moved in his spirit to go to nations they've never been in and share his word. I want to tell you, King Jesus is victorious. King Jesus is amazing. And so is his bride. Don't be fooled by an imposter because the bride of Christ does care. Do you all love the, uh, this ministry? Yeah. Do you love the lions? Yeah. We put faith... INTO ACTION WITH OUR FEET, WITH OUR HANDS, WITH OUR FINGERS. AND SO BEFORE THEY EVEN GOT HERE, WE WROTE A CHECK FOR A THOUSAND DOLLARS BECAUSE WE KNEW THEY NEEDED IT. I DON'T PARTICULARLY CARE WHAT THEY DO WITH IT. I KNOW BEYOND ANY SHADOW OF A DOUBT THAT THEIR LIVES ARE SOLD OUT FOR THE KINGDOM. NOW, I'M GONNA SAY THAT THIS MINISTRY LIVES DAILY IN FAITH, DAILY. And I'm going to invite you to join us in that because that's what the kingdom is made of, people that daily live in faith. All right, saints, I'm going to ask for your attention for a few minutes because the Lord got my attention this morning. Is that fair? So it is uh, Sunday, November seventeenth, two 2013. Our message this morning is an effective army. This is largely because there's a whole lot of talk in the body of Christ, but there is very often not the walk to match it. There is nothing that the world has less stomach for than the hypocritical American church. And sometimes, just traveling around, you get embarrassed to tell people where you're from. I am not embarrassed of this congregation. I am proud of this congregation. I know you and you know me. We eat in each other's houses, we hold each other's children, we rejoice over each other's successes and mourn as we go through trials together because this is a community of faith. And as I began to pray this morning and ask the Lord, what do I do? I have missionaries here, I have men and women who are called to amazing things. I have friends here from Louisiana that I know were born to shake this earth for Jesus. What is it that you have for us? I turned to 1 Chronicles. I was in the 12th chapter and the Lord spoke a prophetic message to me. And I want to share that with you. If that's not language you're familiar with, uh, that's not how they talk in the churches where you come from, the way I can give that to you and you'll receive it is God showed me something that I think is about you. Is that fair? Now, you're going to have to talk to me this morning because I get shy and I'll give... ALL TEARFUL, AND I RUN OUT OF THE BUILDING EMBARRASSED, THINKING THAT YOU'RE NOT WITH ME IF YOU DON'T TALK TO ME. WHAT DO YOU DO WHEN SOMEBODY ASKS YOU A QUESTION AND YOU'RE OUTSIDE OF A CHURCH BUILDING? YOU ANSWER IT. SO IF WE'RE INSIDE THE CHURCH BUILDING, YOU AIN'T GOT TO BE SCARED. IN ALL THE CHURCH SERVICES WE'VE HELD, IN ALL THE YEARS WE'VE HELD THEM, WE'VE HAD ZERO INJURIES AND QUITE A FEW HEALINGS. SO NOBODY WILL BE HURT HERE TODAY. IT'D BE ALL RIGHT IF YOU TALK OUT LOUD. ALL RIGHT. EVEN YOU WHITE FOLKS CAN DO IT, I PROMISE. The lack of pigment in your skin did not disable your vocal cords. All around the world, people are able to speak in agreement in church. Somebody say amen. Amen. So we're in 1 Chronicles 12, the first verse. These were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish. As I read this, I began to think about Hebrews 2, in verse 8. Now you're going to stay in Chronicles 12 so that you can flow with me, but I'm putting on the screen Hebrews 2 for you. It says, in putting everything under his feet, his being Jesus, in putting everything under him God left nothing that is not subject to him, yet at the present we do not see everything subject to him. I want you to understand that as it was in David's day before he was exalted to the kingship of Israel. IT WAS DECLARED. AND SOME MEN SAW IT, AND THEY HURRIED TO DAVID. OTHER MEN DIDN'T SEE IT AND DIDN'T RECOGNIZE IT. A MAN NAMED Nabal, WHOSE NAME MEANS FOOL, DID NOT RECOGNIZE DAVID AS KING, AND GOD REMOVED HIM FROM THE EARTH. BUT IT WAS DURING THE TIME OF DAVID'S EXILE. DURING A TIME PERIOD IT WAS NOT POPULAR TO BE IN LOVE with the guy that God said was going to be king, but didn't seem to be running things now that caught my attention. Saints, we are called to be a people that see a kingdom that the world cannot see yet, to fall in love with a king whose dominion we say stretches all over the earth, but you don't always see his will being done, do you? He's called us to be a special people who recognize the kingship of Jesus before the kingdom of God is so concretely here that the world can't deny it. And to a special group of people like that, special things happen. Look at verse 18. This is the next one that jumped off the page to me. It says, Then the Spirit came upon Amesiah, chief of the 30, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are with you, O son of Jesse. Success, success to you. And success to those who help you, for your God will help you. So David received them and made them leaders of raiding bands. I would like you to know that what I gleaned from the first part of that 18th verse was that in this church, because you are receiving King Jesus before the world recognizes him for the great and exalted Son of God that he is, the Lord will pour His Spirit upon you. And He's not pouring His Spirit upon you for your health, wealth, and success. He's pouring His Spirit upon you for the success of His kingdom. If in the charismatic and Pentecostal zoo we could get this through our head, the power of God is not to entertain children. The power of God is for the advancement of the kingdom of God on earth. I BELIEVE THAT IT WAS A REMINDER TO ME THIS MORNING. I WILL DO GREAT AND AMAZING THINGS THROUGH THE PEOPLE IN THIS CONGREGATION THAT RECEIVED ME AS KING. I WILL PUT MY SPIRIT ON THEM FOR THE SUCCESS OF MY KINGDOM. NOT YOURS, ERIC, NOT THEIRS, NOT ANYONE ELSE'S, FOR THE SUCCESS OF MY KINGDOM. I WANT TO INVITE YOU TO LET THOSE WORDS SINK IN for just a little bit. And then remember that James teaches us when we don't receive what we've asked for, it's because we have asked with wrong motives. The living God will bless you with all the powers of the heavens to be used at His disposal if you can get His heart in a matter. And His heart is definitely after the harvest. Did you know that the Lord never tells us to pray for the harvest to come in. He prays, he tells us to pray that harvesters be raised up. Out of this body we are going to see harvesters raised up. This is what I believe is a prophetic word for us. The latter part of 18 said that David received them. Our king is receiving us and making us leaders. You need to know this. We look at positions in church and we see a an ecclesiastical structure, and we say, I want to be a youth pastor. I want to be a missions coordinator. Every member of the real bride of Christ, every single one, is a leader in the world. And you say, oh, well, that that sounds like a politician's promise. Uh, It sounds like nationalism. It's just pie in the sky or smoke. It's not. And it's not because a son of God standing among normal men ought to lead them to righteousness. You want to know how effective your leadership is? Look and see how many are following you. Do you build community where you go? Do you encourage people to go after the faith of the living God and to spend their lives on Him? Or is your life about you and your pleasures? Is your life about your comfort, your calling, your ministry? See, in the Christian world, our ministries become as idolatrous as football does to the lost man. Oh, it is football season, isn't it? I beg your thousand pardons. I believe that the Lord is receiving us to make us into something. I don't believe that you're supposed to be budget neutral. I think that you ought to have a dramatic effect on the world. And more than that, I think you can. I can look back there and see Spencer sitting there nodding his head. Yes, Spencer's not just a country boy from Clinton, Louisiana, at least not just because the Spirit of God is in him. And when the king received him, it was to make him into something. When I look out and I see Kevin sitting over there, and I remember he was sleeping in a drainage ditch when we found him. The king of the universe received him, put him at the table with the sons of God, and he is born with a purpose in his hand and in his heart. And Psalm 138 says, the Lord will fulfill that purpose for him. You know what his job is? To stay in the community, to stay in the faith, to stay in step with the Spirit and to fulfill his function. Oh, saints, we need to cure toxic independence. We don't want mindless robots. We don't want automatons that simply march. When you say march, we're looking for men who will be received by Jesus and dedicated to become leaders. The 22nd verse jumped out to me. said, day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. Do you know that in the early church in Acts 2, 44 through 47, daily they were growing in number. Daily they were growing in intimacy. Daily they were growing in everything because they had all things in common. Are you sharing your lives with the people that are around you? Are you inviting people into the goodness that you have? You're one of the things that is so much fun about mission trips. You only have what you brought. And whatever you brought... You usually intended to share. It's why you brought it. But when you come back home, have you divided your life up into what is yours and is sacred and what is the Lord's? Because when I was born again, the message that I received said it all belonged to Him. There is such freedom in living in this way. There's a reckless abandonment of concern for self. I can be filled with His Spirit and know that He is caring for me. Do I look like I've missed any meals? You can be honest. Come on, Grace, have I missed any meals? She said that with such grace, didn't she? (laughs) The living God is able to take care of you as you sacrifice. And I'm going to tell you the truth, it's where life is. It is exhilarating. It is exciting to lay it all on the line and watch God come through for you again and again daily we are to be raising up the army of God. The most practical application of this prophetic word that he gave me is that daily we need to evangelize. You know why? That prayer, that prayer in Luke that David just read to us. It was that the Lord of the harvest would raise up harvesters. Not only do you need need to be willing to go, are you a part of the recruitment process? Are you raising up harvesters? Are you raising up soul winners? Are you reproducing your kind? (laughs) And if you are, what is your kind? The pure warming kind? The silent kind? The lukewarm kind? The entitlement kind or the victim kind? Because I believe that what Curtis said to us in that message so long ago, we are a new species of the heavenly kind. And that's what we are to raise up. I won't settle. And you should not settle for a franchised version of Christianity that is more palatable to the masses. We cannot settle for something stamped out of a cookie cutter when the God of the universe designed Ray uniquely for Ray's purpose. Saints, I felt the Spirit of God encouraging me that daily... He would walk with us and shape us into an army that resembled the army of the Lord. Oh man, not a church organization, not a nonprofit 501 501c3, not some religious institution, but something that moved and flowed with the presence and power of God. I'm not going to say I'm there yet. <laughs> My sin is ever before me. Nobody is more aware of my failures than me, so it doesn't hurt my feelings when you point them out. It lets me know you see as clearly as I do. But I am not going to let my shortcomings, my sin and my failure keep us from accomplishing what God has called. And I challenge you to rise above it in the same way. Jesus was crucified to wash that yuckiness away. In the 23rd verse, it said, These are the numbers of men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord had said. There were men, even when David was not yet king, who received him as king, who received the Spirit of God to make his kingdom a success. And those men were devoted to turning what was Saul's kingdom over to David. What are you devoted to? What is your purpose? Because there is a prince of the power of the air and he has claimed the kingdoms of the world as his. But Jesus said in Luke 22, Those of you who have stood beside me in my trials, on you I will confer a kingdom even as the Lord has conferred one upon me. We are turning the kingdom of this world over to the Son of God, helping to place enemies beneath his feet. At least... Some are. And I am so proud of you. I don't know what to do to wake up the rest. I can't preach any harder. I don't know any way to demonstrate it anymore. I, I, I'm not alone anymore. There are brothers all over doing the same. So I'm going to tell you very plainly, if you're riding on the coattails of someone else's stories, you are missing out. You are so missing out because God will do it for you the same way that he'll do it for them. It just requires a giant step of faith that throws yourself into the hands of a loving God and says, use me any way you like, whether I'm the hammer or the nail. All saints, if we had an idea of the potential that is bound up in those who call on the name of the Lord and he wants to release it, the 32nd verse struck me in an amazing way. Men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Two hundred chiefs with all of their relatives under their command. The living God is raising up men in this day that understand the times and know what need to be done. He's doing it in this congregation and other congregations that are very similar to it all over the world. They're not just going with the flow. They're not looking for the favor of their brothers. They're willing to go against the grain to find the favor of the father. Two hundred men who understood the times and knew what to do. Oh, to understand our situation and to know what action to take. So many times people can keenly lay their finger on exactly what the problem is, but what to do about it. Well... They deliberate and say, we'll pray about it. David was right to point out the first word in verse 3 of chapter 10 of Luke was go. That's what to do about it. You see somebody hurting. You see a need. You see something and you say, what would Jesus do? Like a bracelet says, and now you have found out what you should be doing. And so many of you are. Verse 33 was probably the most profound to me. Men of Zebulun, experienced soldiers, prepared for battle with every type of weapon to help David with undivided loyalty. I don't think we ought to send novice off to war. And I don't think that we ought to send people who are not prepared to the mission fields or to pastor churches. But if I have a choice between a man who is not prepared and is willing to go and a man who is prepared and won't go, I'm going to take the man who will. You know, this is like they said to D.L. Moody, we don't like your methods of evangelism. He said, I agree with you. I don't like it either. How is it that you evangelize? Well, we don't. Then I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. I believe that a church is supposed to turn out experienced soldiers. Not with a single kind of weapon, but with every kind of weapon. I love John 3.16. It's amazing. But if that's all you can quote, you and the National Baseball Association have a lot in common. We have to prepare. We have to get ready. How do you get experience? You have to try. And in this church, we're inviting you to try, right? Anybody in here been shot yet for trying? Doesn't happen. Correct it, of course. It's easier to steer a ship that is moving, easier to steer a car that is moving. If you will try, we would love you enough to help steer you. If you won't try, who can steer you? Hmm? sitting in the right path. These men had an undivided loyalty. You know, when I became born again, I was thrown out of my own home. Most of my relatives would not speak with me. The only logical thing to do was to marry into another family. And they still speak with me and are in church today. The Lord made sure I didn't have divided loyalties because there was no one else who loved me but Him. He shouldn't have to burn down our fields to have all of our heart. He shouldn't. We should willingly bring Him all of our heart, an undivided loyalty. Prepared. Verse 38 is where this finishes, and then we'll actually get into the message. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all Israel. Fully determined. Are you pretty persuaded? Are you somewhat motivated? Or are you fully determined? See, I am fully Determined, And God is raising up men and women in this congregation that are fully determined. It is holiness or death. It is evangelization or death. It is the presence of God or death. And we've even learned that dying is the way to get all of those things. We died our own desires. We died our own dreams. We died all of those things and say, Lord, I live to you. The prophetic word to this church today had eight facets to it. To me, that spoke new beginning. They go like this. We live with him as king of us now before it is evident to all. That is the first priority I got out of this scripture. The second one, the Holy Spirit is coming upon us for the success of his kingdom, not ours, not some movement, not to sell some book or CD but the Holy Spirit will empower you for His kingdom. The third, Jesus is receiving us and making us leaders. There's not a person here who is called to be neutral. Not a person here who is called to have little or no impact. We are to lead. The fourth, day after day we build His army until it begins to look like the army of God. Everybody has a role in that. How cute, how sweet is it that Matthew and I's daughters came forward today and wanted to pray? And did you hear what they prayed? That was not coerced or rehearsed. They prayed that these little seeds would grow to maturity and bloom as God intended them to. Where did they get an idea like that? Guys, this is not a shtick for us. It's not. We don't rehearse our messages. The prophecies that you hear come from the Spirit of God. We don't... Where's Natalie? Natalie and I did not talk about that before the service or at any other point in time. It came from the Spirit of God, and we're not looking for new and emotional ways to move you. We're simply laying our hearts out before you and inviting you to join in the same passionate love affair with Jesus that we have. More and more I like to turn off the camera and turn off the recording so that I can talk to you in a way that is a private conversation. But I need you to know that the reason that we do the things that we do is because this message was always supposed to go further than just this audience. Do you know that there are people in Australia that are regularly giving to our ministry and regularly downloading and listening to what's going on here? You know where I've never been? Australia. And until I went to Peru, I'd never even met a person from Australia. But in the bottom of a valley, we met a couple there. And it's not them listening in Australia. I have no idea how it even happened. You cannot know the extent to which God will use a man who is fully determined. You may never actually see it. You can just be assured that that's what he's after. The fifth one, the kingdom of the world is being turned over to Jesus. Are you a part of that process? Every time we see an addiction fall, every time we see a life come ablaze for Jesus, we have plundered hell and populated heaven. At the tent meeting in the third ward, we began to preach beyond the chairs and out into the neighborhood. And a woman who had been addicted to PCP Didn't walk, she ran to the microphone and begged God to save her and for help. You know what doesn't happen if no one goes? That. Talking to men that I know are drug dealers but are just ordinary men my eight-year-old daughter. There's a guy named Little Vern, and Little Vern couldn't look at me. Little Vern was ashamed. Six drug dealers sitting in a row, and some of them are used to me now, and so we're talking freely, right? They know where I'm coming from. I know where they're coming from, but Little Vern is, he's trying to look as tough as possible while being non-engaging. I say, man, what's your name? Uh, Little Vern. I said, is there a big Vern I need to be worried about? He kind of smiled. I gave him a hug, and he didn't know what to do with that. My 8-year-old daughter grabbed the leg that in his sweats is hiding his dope, put her face in his thigh, and hugged it. You have no idea what one fully determined person can do. An eight-year-old little girl is capable of reducing to tears the most hardened criminal you'll meet. I was in Harris County lockup just the other day with Zeke visiting a man who told me very clearly, one thing I know is I cannot go back to the death I've been involved in. Guys, the world is waking up to their need for Jesus. It's the sons of God who need to get busy sharing the hope and change. It hasn't come through politics, and it never will. It's supposed to come through us. The sixth, the Lord is raising us up as men who understand and know what to do. We are being trained. The seventh, we are experienced soldiers, or at least becoming experienced, and prepared with every type of weapon. Don't settle for knowing the book of Hebrews well when you can have the other 65 books. Don't rest on your laurels. Don't say, well, I've been in this thing forever and I've sold houses and I've gone to other countries. What can you sharpen today? If you're not dead, you still have work left to do. I'm just going to be bold enough to say it. If God had called you to go do it alone, then he would not have brought you to this community because it's not what we preach, it's not what we teach, it's not what he's revealed to us. We're supposed to work in tandem, in community helping and supporting, lifting each other up. We can't do that if we have no idea where you are. We can't do that if you make us chase you. There's either something good happening here that you're drawn to by the power of God, or there's nothing happening here, and you should find where you think it is happening. But I love you and I want you here. I believe God brought every person in here that is sitting here today. The eighth one was now was the time to be fully determined of one mind to make Jesus king. Are you fully determined to make Jesus king or just partially committed? That was an eightfold prophetic word this morning. It came in all of about 10 seconds. I love that. I love that the kingdom of God speaks to men about its priorities. Now, I want to tell you how you go recruit the army. Is that okay? I mean, we need to know what message to carry, don't we? Turn with me to the second chapter of Exodus. When you get there, turn one more chapter to the third. (laughs) Because second is not right. One of the things that I am learning, and I'm a hard-headed preacher, and you see, I can be built like a blunt instrument. I can hammer away at something forever. Thank you for the no amens on that one. But there's something else that I see in the Word and I'm growing as a man of God as I see it. I have always had a very practical application TO MY THEOLOGY, AN ACTION-ORIENTED FAITH. AND YOU KNOW IT, I PREACH IT AND TEACH IT, WE PUT IT ON BUMPER STICKERS AND T-SHIRTS, AND WE'VE SHARED IT IN 23 COUNTRIES. BUT THERE'S A SWEETNESS TO THE PRESENCE OF GOD THAT I SOMETIMES OVERLOOK. LOOK AT CHAPTER 3 IN VERSE 7. THIS HAS TO DO WITH OUR DRAFT MESSAGE, WHAT IT IS WE WANT TO SHARE WITH PEOPLE. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Understand that anyone who is sinning is a slave to sin. And we could preach that. And we could preach, you're a slave, you're a slave, you're a slave. And I have. And you've heard me. But we need to remind people that God sees their situation and He's not trying to kill them. He's concerned about them. God sees when a person is trapped in misery the hellish cycle of doing what they don't want to do and hurting the people around them and feeling ashamed. And He is concerned. I love concern. It's a, I can see in David's eyes concern, but if it was just concern, can you eat it? Anybody had a concern sandwich? Can you wear it? When you woke up this morning, did you put on concern? He doesn't stop there. He's not just concerned about their suffering. The concern moves the Lord to something and it ought to move us. It says in verse 8, So I have come down to rescue. The church of the living God has got to be in the business of rescuing people the concern is great but it's not there to alleviate our need to act they're not mutually exclusive or independent of each other acting does not alleviate our concern oh I, I, I went and i did oh and now you're done and feeling concern doesn't alleviate our need to act i hurt for them i really do good would you give them something i can eat Our God sees the condition of people and He is concerned about them. So the one who dwells in high and lofty places comes down to rescue. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. If you're sitting in here and still awake today, You need to know that God has got a good and a spacious land for you. He never intended us to live in misery. He never intended for us to be slaves to demonic powers. He intended for us to live like His sons and daughters, and He loves us. And He's already extending the hand of rescue. He stoops down. To bring us up. That's the part of the message I often forget. I'm pretty good at showing somebody when they're down. You know, I can do it. In God's little toolbox, I, I must be the sandpaper. <laughs> <laughs> or that other tool called the rasp. <laughs> Got to get the R in there. But God's motivation for everything He's doing in your life is that He's concerned about you. What does it say about the God of the universe that he is concerned about the way that you live? But he is. He's actually concerned. And not just that, he's willing to do something about it. You know, that's the message I want to take. I want to take it to the rest of the world. The living God is concerned about them and he will reach down and raise them up That's the draft message. Turn with me to Exodus 32 and you can find out about the preparing of the army. Are y'all still with me? Anybody going to Exodus 32? Say there when you're there. In Exodus 32, we find out that we can evaluate. We can honestly look at a situation. We don't have to be these weird Christians that deny it. You know, uh, I got emphysema, but I'm just not receiving it. Well, if you got the oxygen tank, you probably have already received it. We can evaluate the actual condition. And we can face that. And through faith, we can elevate. We can go to a higher place, believing God's word. AND THEN WE CAN ARM OURSELVES. WE'RE GOING TO FIND THIS, starts WITH AN HONEST ASSESSMENT. LOOK AT MOSES IN CHAPTER 32 AND VERSE 25. WHEN HE SAW THAT THE PEOPLE, WHAT'S THAT WORD? WERE RUNNING WILD. COME ON, LOOK AT YOUR and SAY, YOU'VE BEEN RUNNING WILD? COME ON NOW, YOU'VE BEEN RUNNING WILD? WHAT'S IT MEAN TO RUN WILD? RUNNING WILD IS OUTSIDE OF GOD'S PLAN FOR YOUR LIFE. AS IF YOU HAVE NO MASTER, YOU HAVE NO LORD, MAKING UP A KIND OF... THE TENTH CHAPTER OF ROMANS SAYS THAT THERE WAS A PEOPLE, AND BECAUSE THEY WERE ZEALOUS FOR GOD, BUT DID NOT HAVE A KNOWLEDGE TO MATCH THAT ZEAL, THEY MADE UP THEIR OWN KIND OF RIGHTEOUSNESS. YOU KNOW WHAT THIS LOOKS LIKE? OH, THE LORD KNOWS MY HEART BECAUSE I'M A PRETTY GOOD OLD BOY. The Lord and I, we're tight. Well, what about the people that you are sinning against? Oh, no, I never hurt anybody. It starts with a proper evaluation of our own lives. Moses looked at his own people and said, you are running wild. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control. Come on now, is your life out of control? We spend so much time trying to show that we're in control. You know, life is great, people are terrific, business is wonderful, like the bumper sticker says. Don't you just want to brand it liar? (laughs) Out of control, what is that like? When you don't have God's vision for your life, you're out of control. You cast off all restraint, AND YOU DO WHAT SEEMS BEST TO YOU. AND WHAT DOES PROVERBS SAY TWICE ABOUT THAT? IT LEADS TO DEATH. IS GOD THERE TO LOOK AT PEOPLE SAYING, YOU'RE RUNNING WILD, YOU'RE OUT OF CONTROL, AND I'M GONNA PUNISH YOU FOR IT? THERE MAY BE A DAY OF PUNISHMENT, BUT THAT WAS NOT HIS HEART. HIS HEART WAS TO DO SOMETHING ABOUT IT. UNDERSTAND SOMETHING. WE'RE IN A MORTAL SPIRITUAL COMBAT. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock. You know what? I noticed that no matter where I am in the world, whether it's a little bitty village in India or in Africa, whether I'm in Sugarland at a high school or I'm in the third ward on a porch, people like to. BIND together and be proud of where they're at. I was, I was in that Harris County detention center, and you know what was scratched into the glass of the visitor center where I was peering through bulletproof glass to talk to somebody? Third ward. Is that what you want to advertise about your community? Enough of us are here that we wrote our names on the wall? I think God's got better than that for the third ward. I have met some people that have serious God potential in the third ward. Mm -hmm. It becomes a laughing stock to the world when we revel in our sin and we get out of control. But you let an army begin to get fully committed to what God is calling. Oh man, there's nothing you can't do. What is our message? Our message is God wants to reach down to where you're at and raise you up. Who do we speak it to? Whoever's running wild and is out of control. Whoever it is that the devil could laugh at because he knows he owns them. Boy, people don't like those terms, but did you know that's exactly what Ephesians 2 says? Ephesians 2 says, the spirit of disobedience filled them. You're either filled with a spirit that makes you obedient to God or filled with a spirit that aids in your disobedience to God. Oh, saints, we don't have to be a laughingstock. We don't have to be out of control and running wild. God is not there to smite us. God is not the God of the thou shalt nots. Do you know what the very first thing he ever said to a man after he put him in the garden is? You are free to eat, which is my second favorite part. I like alpacas. I do. I like to eat them. They're good. I don't know what a poodle tastes like, John. I don't know what a poodle tastes like. But I know what an alpaca that looks exactly like a poodle tastes like. And I love it. God is a God of freedom. NOT PUNISHMENT AND RESTRICTION. THE PUNISHMENT AND RESTRICTION IS SELF-INFLICTED WHEN WE DO NOT FOLLOW HIS PLAN. IT'S LIKE SAYING GRAVITY IS PUNISHING ME FOR JUMPING OUT OF THE PLANE. NO, IT'S JUST A LAW THAT IS THERE. IT'S JUST A LAW. AND YOU KNOW WHAT? THE WORD OF GOD IS WARNING US ABOUT IT. NOT BECAUSE HE WANTS TO HURT US, BECAUSE HE WANTS TO HELP US. HE'S COMPASSIONATE. HIS LOVING-KINDNESS. Is everywhere. We just have to look. Look at Moses' call. This was a call to the people of God. They were already passed through the Red Sea. They were already following the cloud by day and the fire by night. They were just like you. And listen to what he had to say to the people of God. Verse 26. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. What a simple message. God has chosen a place in time for you to align with those who have aligned themselves with God. You know, 2 Timothy 2.22 says, but you man of God flee sexual immorality. And I preach on that all of the time because we have a generation defined by sexual immorality. But that's not all it says. It says to pursue righteousness along with those who seek God out of a pure heart. It's not enough for us to try to say no to sin. We have got to join with people that are as serious about God as we are. And if you can't find them, raise them up. When I got here, how many of you knew me here? (laughs) None. When I got here, nobody was here. You go to the coffee shops. You go to the marketplaces. When you go to Walmart to get bread, you go to get the Christians that are hiding there. WHAT DO YOU MEAN THE CHRISTIANS ARE HIDING? I MEAN THE LOST PEOPLE THAT ARE ABOUT TO BECOME CHRISTIANS AND DON'T KNOW IT. YOU KNOW, THEY PUT GREETERS AT THE FRONT OF WALMART. DO YOU RECOGNIZE THAT? THEY PAY SOMEBODY TO STAND THERE AND SAY HELLO TO YOU. WHAT A PERFECT OPPORTUNITY. (laughs) GUARANTEED TO GET A SMILE THE FIRST TIME. GUYS, DAILY, WE NEED TO BUILD THE ARMY OF THE LORD. DAILY. YOU KNOW WHAT THE VERY NEXT THING THAT HE DOES FOR THEM IS? In the 27th verse. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Listen, the army of God cannot be running wild and out of control. It cannot be a laughing stock. They have to stand with those who are standing with God. And they have to take up their sword. Not their butter knives, not their teaspoons. Their sword that is the word of God. We live in a gospel-like generation, but we don't have to. If you own a Bible, you can cure the problem one life at a time. If you are the head or help the head of a family, you can cure the problem one family at a time. And as we join together, maybe we have to buy audio Bibles because somebody can't read. What a small price to pay. You can cure it one nation at a time. They are dying out there. And they're waiting for the sons of God to stand up and be who we're called to be. Now, I believe this is a committed church. I do. I'm really quiet. Are y'all a committed church? Yeah. I believe that you're sold out for Jesus. And that sometimes it's not another message on commitment that we need because you're already there. It's just kind of, well, what do I do? We're going to go tell everybody that we can find. WHO IS DISCONTENTED AND DISTRESSED AND BEAT UP, GOD WANTS TO RAISE YOU UP. HE WANTS TO REACH DOWN FROM HIS THRONE ROOM, GRAB HOLD OF YOUR LIFE, AND RAISE YOU UP. AND THEN WE'RE GOING TO EVALUATE. WE'RE GOING TO SAY, HEY, MAN, HAVE YOU NOTICED YOUR LIFE IS RUNNING WILD AND OUT OF CONTROL? I DON'T WANT YOU TO BE A LAUGHING STOCK WHEN YOU'RE SUPPOSED TO BE A PRINCE WITH GOD. YOU CAN STAND WITH ME AS I STAND WITH THE LORD. LET'S LEARN TO FASTEN A SWORD ON OUR SIDES The Word of God is the only thing of any real value in my life. That's why I cried like a baby when my first Bible was stolen. It's the only thing of value. Then after you get a sword strapped to their side, saints, we need to fill people with hope. Turn with me to Mark 1 and verse 40. We're going to wrap it up here in just a second. Are y'all bored? I don't know about you, but it does something special down in my soul and a way of stirring me up to think, well, let me just say this. You know what the six drug dealers sitting together were really concerned about? Once I got past the fact that I WAS A DIFFERENT COLOR, AND I ASSURED HIM THAT WAS MY PARENTS' FAULT, NOT MINE. I DIDN'T HAVE A THING TO DO WITH IT. ONCE I SAW AS A REGULAR HUMAN BEING, THEN IT BECOMES AN EVALUATION, ARE YOU LOOKING DOWN AT ME? DO YOU THINK THAT YOU ARE BETTER THAN ME? THAT'S REALLY WHAT IS GOING ON IN THE HEART OF LITTLE VERN WHEN HE CAN'T MAKE eye contact with me. That's why it's so important that my little girl reached out and hugged his drug-laden leg. It needs to be filled with hope. The reason little Vern is selling crack on the corner is because little Vern doesn't have any idea that there's another way to live. And he's surrounded by a strange kind of gospel that acknowledges what he does as if it's okay As long as in his heart, he says he loves the Lord. But if you could get little Vern to sit alone with you and talk, his life looks like hell, not like the kingdom of God. And his friends are being shot and locked up. Oh, well, that's the third ward. Don't get me started with the suburbanite lives. You people just hide your sins. I've seen more vicious, nasty things on Facebook. I can't believe the things that are there. It breaks my heart. Vern and the suburban housewife sitting in town center have got the same problem. When pressed by the Spirit of God, they can see their sin, but they don't know what to do about it. And Jesus has become platitude and bumper stickers and t-shirts to them. And they need to meet somebody that he's more than that to. You know, you can listen to the Christian radio, have a Christian sticker on your car, all of those things, and still extend hell into everybody's life and offer no one hope. It's like wrapping fig leaves around yourself for clothing. In Mark, we find out really what Jesus is like. The 40th verse, chapter 1. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Not Not if you can. Not if you're able. What does this say about how confused the man is about God's nature? If you are willing... It's not that you can't, Lord. It's not, it's not that you haven't noticed me. It's just, Lord, are you willing to help me? That is one of the saddest questions I've ever heard. Lord, you're aware of my leprosy. Are you willing to help me? Where could a man learn to ask a question like that? It would have to be because the people that represented God had proven to the man that they weren't willing to help him. And by the way, how did we treat lepers in the first century? Don't come near me. So what does Jesus look at him and say? I am willing. Saints, we have to show a hurting world that God is willing to help them. And it requires something of them. They have to stand with Him. They have to strap His Word to their side. Their lives have to come under His control. They have to walk in step with the Spirit and cannot just run wild. He wants to reach down to help them up. He wants to. If you're here and you're in the center of God's will, there's only one way you got there. You recognized how pitifully wretched your life was. What an offense to everything good and heavenly that your life was. And you asked Him to change you. And He's in the process of doing it. That is the only way you could be in God's will. Now, there is no other way to get there. That is the process of crucifixion. But, you know, for the hope message... I can't help but always go to John. We're going to close in the Gospel of John. Is that okay? In John 1, verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were sitting or while you were still under the, the fig tree before Philip called you. How on earth could that be an important thing? You might be sitting here today going, okay, so God wants to help me. And maybe he's willing, but you people don't understand where I've been. His eye has been on you since your birth. Before you were born. He said to Jeremiah, I knit you together in your mother's womb. Say, well, he said that to Jeremiah. What about me? When he put breath in your lungs, it's because he had a purpose for you breathing. When he commanded life into you, it's because he had his eye on you and he has watched you suffer at your own bad CHOICES, AND HE WANTS TO HELP YOU. HE WANTS TO HELP YOU. HIS EYE HAS BEEN ON YOU SINCE THE BEGINNING. HE'S NEVER TAKEN HIS EYE OFF OF YOU. EVERY HELLISH THING THAT IS HAPPENING IS HAPPENING AS THE RESULT OF SIN, NOT THE RESULT OF HIM. TURN THE PAGE IN YOUR BIBLE TO THE SECOND CHAPTER, VERSE FIVE. HIS MOTHER SAID TO THE SERVANTS, DO WHATEVER HE TELLS YOU. NEARBY STOOD SIX STONE WATER JARS, THE KIND USED BY JEWS FOR CEREMONIAL WASHINGS, EACH HOLDING TWENTY TO THIRTY GALLONS. WHAT DID JESUS DO WITH THOSE JARS? HE TURNED WATER INTO WINE. TWENTY TO THIRTY GALLONS. A GALLON OF WATER WEIGHS 8.34 POUNDS. IF IT'S TWENTY GALLONS, IT'S 166 POUNDS. I'm not gonna ask who in here is 166 pounds. Let me just start with 30 gallons. If you happen to be exactly 250 pounds, had to die at all hour or two to get there, that's 30 gallons. When you look at mankind, most of us are somewhere between 160 pounds and 250 pounds. A few of us push those boundaries at either end. I can't tell you which end I often push. He takes ordinary men and He so fills them that they do extraordinary things. The world has come to expect something of Christians. That you're hypocritical, that you're insincere, that you're judgmental, that you're narrow-minded. That's what they expect to taste from your glass. And when you show real compassion, real concern, you're willing to actually help And not compromise the word of God, but strap it to their side. They will say, somebody saved the best for last. I didn't know there were Christians like this. I remember the first time I met a real one. I mean, I do. I remember the first time I met a real Christian. It's amazing. I'd been surrounded by church life. And the first time I met a real, and you know what? I didn't sleep for weeks at the passion and sincerity in his eyes as he spoke to me. I was completely on the wrong side of things. I even threatened his life physically. But he had so wreaked havoc in my soul simply by being moved by God. that It wasn't long my days were numbered because now I had seen a real one. I couldn't say they're all like that. I had met one that was different. THEN I FOUND OUT IT'S NOT QUITE SO RARE. THEY JUST OFTEN ARE WELL HIDDEN AMONG THE COMPLACENT. THE THIRD CHAPTER IS AN IMPORTANT ONE AND I'M ONLY GOING TO TAKE TWO VERSES FROM IT BECAUSE IT IS GETTING LATE. In re- VERSE 3, IN REPLY JESUS DECLARED, I TELL YOU THE TRUTH, NO ONE CAN SEE THE KINGDOM OF GOD UNLESS HE IS BORN AGAIN. How can a man be born when his old Nicodemus asked? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. I want to tell you today that the spirit of God is able to give birth to something spiritual in you. If you are that person that David prophesied about, that while we're singing, let the glory fall, and does God really care about me, and I see they're feeling something, but I'm just not getting it, the Spirit of God is able to breathe life into your spirit. What has become a catchphrase in Christianity, born again, can actually be translated born of the heavens. been born of the heavens? Born of the heavens. How do you get born of the heavens? In John 4, the 49th verse, there's a royal official. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Is that an urgent problem? If it was your child, how passionate would you be? Man, when life is on the line, you get serious. That's why it's essential if you're going to come to Jesus, you know your life is on the line. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to take him at his word. If he said it, I believe it. Now check this out. Verse 53, then the father realized that that, this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he and his household all had believed. At the exact moment you take Jesus at his word, that exact moment, something is born in you. Because for the first time in your life, you're not running wild. You're trusting in His Word. The first time in your life you're not out of control. You've submitted your life to His control. For the first time in your life the devil's not laughing at you. He has become scared of you because you are dangerous. Maybe the best story to close with is the fifth chapter of John. Sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who had been, there, been an invalid for 38 years. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Have you noticed how we have to pronounce that word? Invalid? It's made up of two words. It's painful to even break it apart. Invalid? Look how sad our English is. Our English seems to be suggesting that if a person has a problem, they're not even valid good thing that Jesus is able to fix problems. What were you when he called you? I'm going to tell you, they may be invalid in the kingdom because they're not participating. They may be running wild, out of control. They may be causing more hell than anything else on this planet. BUT IF THEY RECOGNIZE THAT THEY CAN'T CURE THEMSELVES, IF YOU RECOGNIZE YOU CAN'T CURE YOURSELF, YOU CAN'T GET INTO THE WATER WHEN IT'S STIRRED, YOU CAN'T SAVE YOURSELF, THEN JESUS HAS A QUESTION FOR YOU. DO YOU WANT TO GET WELL, HE ASKED. VERSE 6, WHEN JESUS SAW HIM LYING THERE, HE LEARNED THAT HE HAD BEEN IN THIS CONDITION FOR A LONG TIME AND HE ASKED HIM, DO YOU WANT TO GET WELL? THAT SEEMS LIKE AN INSENSITIVE QUESTION UNTIL YOU REALIZE HOW MANY PEOPLE THERE ARE IN THIS WORLD THAT DO NOT REALLY WANT TO GET WELL. THEY'RE NOT WILLING TO DO A THING, NOT WILLING TO STOP RUNNING WILD, TO STOP BEING OUT OF CONTROL. THEY'RE NOT WILLING. THEY'RE IN SLAVERY AND THEY'RE IN MISERY, BUT THEY HAVE BECOME ACCUSTOMED TO SLAVERY AND MISERY. I got a relative that I love. It's one of the smartest people I ever met in my life. He invents new ways of doing evil. And he is creative at it. If he could turn that thing to righteousness, I can't imagine what he could do. He spent his entire life killing his brain cells. And he's still got more than I will ever have. It's shocking. Drive all the way across town to go to a bar. Drive a couple blocks to go to a church. It's cost him his grandkids, five marriages, and every relationship he's ever had that was worthwhile. Would you call that a slave? I would. And God wants to reach down and help him just like he wants to reach down and help people here. Question is not, is God willing? The question really is, are we? Do you know what the first thing he tells this man? It's verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. When we take Jesus at his word, he puts us to work. When you take him at his word, he gives you something to do, not just believe. He gives you an action. And everybody in this room has a mat to carry. The question is not, is he willing to heal you? Is he willing to help you? Is he willing to help you up? The question is, do you really want to get well? And do you want to help others do it? Are you just concerned, (coughs) but you don't reach out? Do you reach out because it's a mechanical religious thing, but you no longer have any real concern? Those of us that have been doing this a while, that's a danger, isn't it? Why are you here? Because it's what we do every time this time of year. You know, it happens. Y'all don't believe that happens? I hadn't been honest enough with you then. It happens. I'm glad God's merciful. Question is, do we wanna get well and do we wanna help others do it? It's gonna require an action from them and it's gonna require an action from you. It does. If you don't go, they don't hear. If you don't get yourself well, you cannot get others well. It's the funniest thing when we preach and the power of God comes into a meeting Whoever is still completely steeped in their own sin begins telling others how to get out of it. They'll make excellent preachers one day. But when God has got hold of your life and it's come under His control and you're no longer a slave and you can say like the man in John 9, I was blind and now I see, all of a sudden you're pointing people to the only thing that can free them. And as a man who has been freed, What does your mat look like? Y'all go ahead and stand to your feet.